Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome back to another episode of the Printavo Print Hustlers podcast. I'm your host, Bruce from Printavo. We've got our co-host, Hurricane Stephen Farrig, and our special guest, Adam Smith, owner of Lucky Prints, out of Chicago, too. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Welcome, Adam. Thanks for having me on. For those uh, that go to the Printavo website, Adam from Lucky Prince is basically on the homepage. You've been on the homepage for a long time. I have. It's I, it's quite an honor. Well, fact. you've been with yeah. Printavo for years. A few years, yeah. I think yeah. we we started back in I don't know, 2014, 2015, and yeah, we've kind of had the software. Printavo was free then, right? <laughs> I think it was like there nine dollars. W- there month, was a time a when it was yeah. free. Yeah. And actually, because after a year of building, it was, I was, I launched it. It was like a $30 plan or something. And there was barely anybody that's signing up. And it's like, okay, I'll just make it for free. And then I was like, that, monetize, that's people, a good business right? model. Monetize later. And then people, people I was talking to were like, well, how are you going to have a business, you know, using this ads? I'm running my business with, you know, and. And so I thought about that, but I was like, ah, you don't want an ad like on your invoice, like at the top, <laughs> it's selling something crazy. And then, um, and then I raised it back up again. And I think the first shop signed up or so, but yeah, but not on the free plan. I don't think anybody <laughs> signed up on the free plan. There are some I cheap plans out there though. Yeah, I would be skeptical of, of I'm, running. A, I mean, you have to start somewhere, I guess. It's true. It's a pretty crappy feeling launching something for a year and having no one sign up. I mean, <laughs> or giving it away you know, and having I, nobody you sign up. You know, though, that people aren't just going to come because you have something. It's like posting a product online and you're like, okay, but it's like, okay, now you have to market it. But you're right. You do have this sort of like a little bit, no matter how many times right. you do it, a little bit. It's like maybe somebody will buy it the second <laughs> they turn it on. You're just like terrified that your pride is going to get squashed when, when the boat starts. <laughs> yeah. Like imagine it. opening <laughs> a print shop and like buying all your equipment, leasing everything out, opening your doors and being like, yeah, where is everybody? Where is everybody? <laughs> yeah. Crickets. Crickets. It's like uh, they're being marketed to by everybody else. Yeah. Um, so, Adam, tell us about Lucky Prince, um, just for those listeners at home. Yeah, give us uh, give us your trade show spiel if you were sure. to, yeah, you were we're, to come uh, and talk to we're us. We're a small print shop in Chicago. Um, I'm not originally from Chicago. Um, I'm from Georgia, and that's kind of where I got my, my footing in the industry. Um, I grew up doing it. My brother... Uh, he's about 10, 11 years older than me. Started doing it in college. He started a small shop, so I started, you know, helping him and going out during the months during the summertime when I wasn't in school, um, on the weekends, catching shirts, cleaning screens in about 110-degree barn. Georgia we heat. Georgia, Georgia heat. heat. Oh, yeah, full humidity, the whole the whole package. Um, it's great for I, water base. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we weren't even doing anything like that back then. It was, it was all football booster club. Just figuring out how to not burn shirts. Exactly, yeah, which burned plenty of shirts. Um, but, yeah, moved up here back 2011, something like that. Um, I had always kind of bounced back and forth between, you know, screen printing and uh, the culinary world and got my footing in the culinary world here first. Um and then just couldn't keep up with the, you know, the, the demanding lifestyle. That that really? Has. I yeah. didn't know you were a chef. I was, yeah. What kind uh, of chef were you? I was a, well, I was a sous chef for a restaurant group. So they had four different restaurants under their, their wheelhouse. Wow. I kind of helped. Are they still here? Reason. Yeah. Yeah. They've sold a few of them. Um, and they've, they've, I think, I think they've rebranded all of them. 
Interesting. The, the ones that they have remaining, they've rebranded. So the ones that I worked with them on are, are not the same. They, mm. have, they have some of the same buildings, but they've changed the menus. They've changed the themes. and um, they sold Is, off, the, is there like comparisons between custom dish? I mean, sure, you've got mm-hmm. 20 dishes, but everybody was like, oh, I'm allergic to the, can you hold the, you know, or like, and also the managing of the people, you know, because it is a lot of hourly folks at restaurants too um and the swings of seasonality like are, are there things that you've taken from being so deep in restaurants to um yeah i mean i would say there's the majority of it is kind of a lateral move over between industries um that's honestly something that you know if we're if we're hiring for entry-level positions in production you know not a lot of people have production experience inside of a screen printing shop embroidery shop especially anything digital Um, but I mean, if I see somebody that's got restaurant experience on there, I mean, the, the nature of the work is very similar. It's very demanding. It's very, um, you know, kind of custom retrofitting, um, solutions to unique problems on a day-to-day basis. So, Mm -hmm. um, like you were saying, I mean, you've got custom orders coming in all the time at restaurants, you have different variables, um, and you're essentially assembling and manufacturing on a hyper scale in a restaurant. I mean, you're taking, you know, raw product and turning it into a finished good. You know, it's a matter of five to 15 minutes versus, you know, five to 10 days. But, um, that process is still the same and the environment's really similar too. I mean, it's, um, anybody that's worked on a line, um, in any kitchen has felt the heat, you know, it's, it's intense. You're in the middle of, you know, your seven, eight o'clock rush on a Friday night it is brutal and that's that's how it can feel sometimes in a print shop and so i when i see people that have that experience um i know that they They can handle stress yeah yeah, that they they can handle that they can handle that um and also kind of keep a cool head while those things are going that's interesting it's it's a lot of you know it's a lot of micromanaging um your own time on a restaurant scale it's it's more fractional than, than in a print shop, but it's the, the process is still the same. I mean, you have, you know, if you've got seven different orders that you're working on, each one of those things has to be started at different times so that all the food is ready at the same time. Uh, the same goes with print shops. If you've got certain things you have to accomplish throughout the day, when you're starting at the beginning of your day, you've got to kind of map out and say like, all right, well, this will take me about this long. This part will take me about this long. I'm going to balance all those things together. So that at the end of the day, I've got everything in place on time when it needs to be done. That's super interesting. We just hired our new GM is from the food industry. And <laughs> That's right. Yeah, That's right. Literally like ran a restaurant, pretty big size restaurant. And all the comparisons were just like this, 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 you know, you have to make the customers happy. You're going to deal with the problems. You're going to have the gluten free dish that you can't mess up. Um, but the one thing he did say was he goes with a restaurant at the end of every day, you know, yeah, you're working on tomorrow to get it ready, but like the door is closed. Basically it's like a new day, new customers are coming in. You have to impress a new batch of people. He was saying with printing that one day experience turns into like two weeks because you have just so many rolling items, Mm. um, which was really, really interesting. But I think we're, as we're hiring on production too, you know, guys and girls from the food industry are, they're just stellar. And I think they like the work better. Would you say? (laughs) I, I would definitely say that. I mean, we have, um, one of our account managers, uh, she went to school for printmaking, but she had years of experience as a, um, as a server and bartender in Chicago. And I mean, it's anybody that's worked 
in a city like Chicago behind the bar, um, kind of sees that intensity. And so she, she was able to kind of take that same level of, um, customer service experience that, you know, made her money behind the bar and convert that over to, um, something that she wanted to do long-term, which is what she went to school for in printmaking. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a, a perfect lateral move and it was great for us. I mean, she came in as a, uh, working pre-press because of her experience, her technical experience, um, behind her printmaking degree. And then we just quickly realized that she, her bartending experience made her really well suited to handle our, it's interesting. our accounts because yeah. you get, especially bartending. I mean, you get people that have, you know, ridiculous requests, people get rowdy right? and you've got to so keep loud. your cool. Yeah, you, keep your cool. <laughs> you can't just tell, you can't just kick them out the door. You know what I mean? You've got to handle the situation so yeah. that everybody around them is also comfortable. Um, so people that can, you know, manage small crises here and there, um, while also having a, the ability to just like weather high intensity, um, high volume work. Yep. Um, it's, it's kind of a unique thing. And I think the food service industry offers that. Yeah. More than, we, more we than, more especially so on the customer facing side. So like our onboarding side and customer care. And yeah, if you have restaurant experience, we're like, Oh, it's a big plus. I mean, like you said, there's such a high volume of people that are coming in and out and of differing tempers and everything else that you're dealing with. Um, we've also found that people with uh, acting experiences, stand-up comedians, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, there's Second City. If you guys have heard of in Chicago, I think there's others in different large cities too. But um, yeah, if you've been there or been through the, one of their acting classes or enjoy doing it or theater, um, they've been at, they've been able to like really get in the zone, but then be able to pull out, you know, when they need to. So. Um, <laughs> we have a guest today, a fourth guest, Bruce's dog, Bear. There's Bear. Hi, Bear. Um, yeah, he's just asking for pets. Yeah. But the shop's doing well, though? Yeah. Yeah, the shop's doing well. I mean, we, you know, along with, with most folks in our industry, had a um, rough couple of months earlier in the year and just kind of had to pivot and, um, you know, change our priorities a little bit. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of, it's the last few months have kind of given us some time to reflect on on you know who we who we really are as a company um and what we want to be not only to our clients and the market around us but also to ourselves i mean we we kind of change some of the um things internally you know just small quality of life improvements and things like that that um that i've overlooked in the past and things that i've wanted to kind of implement and i just kind of took this time as mm-hmm. you know, well everything's like kinda, what uh, change, we changed our production schedule. That was the biggest thing. Um, hmm. I talked to my staff and, you know, we, we kind of did a, an analysis over a few months of stoppage time, like downtime throughout hmm. the day. Um, so we only run a single production shift. We don't have two production shifts. So, um, if we have our, our printing crew taking, you know, breaks at the same time or something like that, we looked at the start and stop time, you know, before they punch out for lunch and after they punch back in from lunch. Um, and also the start and stop times in the mornings. Um, and we found a lot of waste in that. So what I was looking at was, all right, if we can cut down production by one day a week, then we're cutting out 20% of that waste. Because if there's, if they're only taking, you know, four lunch breaks versus five lunch breaks in a, in a work week, then you've just reduced the, um, the instances of starting and stopping at that point. So I talked to my team and, um, 
checked in with how they would feel about running a longer production shift. Um, and that gave us more flexibility on the scheduling end with, you know, we, we normally pre COVID, we were busy all the time. You know, everybody was hitting right at 40 hours a week and we were able to, to really balance that out without, um, you know, having excessive overtime and also making sure that our full-time employees were getting full-time pay, our hourly employees at least. Um, so we switched to a four day production week. Um, we run these shifts at a scheduled nine hours and, uh, with kind of the understanding that with our team that, you know, if we need to start half an hour early or if we're in the middle of a print run, uh, at the end of the day, that they will be a little bit more flexible, but the advantage for them is that they have a four day work week. They get their full paycheck the way wow. that they, they want to run. Mm. Um, so it's just longer four days versus yeah, longer four days. Um, so it's a 30, 36 hours scheduled and most of the team falls around 38 to 39 hours mm-hmm. on a normal week. And then we'll have, you know, off weeks where we're, you know, running an hour over. Do you need to add in more breaks though? Because it's the yeah. longer days, but those breaks are shorter cause they're not lunch breaks for example. Exactly. Okay, yeah. So gotcha. we, we, the, um, we have a, an unpaid lunch break and then paid breaks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And what I, that was another thing I was, re- I realized most folks weren't taking those, um, because yeah, they, because the, they were ones? voluntary, the oh, okay. 15 minute breaks, the two 15 minute breaks. Um, and so when we switched, I noticed folks were kind of, you know, at first there was a little bit of burnout and the adjustment, like the long days were pretty grueling to them. Adding the extra hour, hour and a half was, uh, just a little bit more than, you know, that extra time on your feet is significant, um, over the course of a couple of weeks. But I noticed they started taking those breaks. It didn't impact our production at all. Um, it helped us kind of get really good control over payroll, um, which is one thing we needed to do during this, you know, as sales were kind of, um, back and forth, just inconsistent and unreliable the way that they typically would be in a normal year. Um, yeah. And it really let us kind of control that, control the happiness of our team, keep our entire team, which was the biggest thing that I wanted to do. Um, and it also gave them, you know, an extra day during the week for them to do what they want. And, um, that I've really seen kind of a a positive outtake in that, like Hmm. before we would come back on Mondays and I would ask everybody how their weekend was. And most of the time people were just, you know, spending the two days not doing anything because they had just worked five really intense days. And now with that extra day, I'm starting to see our team taking advantage of that, you know, 50% longer weekend and actually getting out and like doing things that they wouldn't normally interesting. So is the whole place shut down on Fridays then? Is that, I, I still go in. Um, we're still kind of balancing that out. We've, we've been doing it for about two months. Um, I still go in and my manager still goes in cause he, um, he's got a, um, sort of an emergency thing. He, he has to take care of one of his pets that, um, got really sick. So he's, he punches out and takes a, a, like a one and a half hour lunch break every day. And then he'll mm-hmm. make up that time on Friday with me, which is fine because he's, you know, he's more in a management position anyway. Um, so we'll go in and we'll have, you know, if there's any spillover that didn't happen throughout the week, or if we want to get a jump on production, um, you know, I all hop over there and sure and, and get and things ready for next week. Yeah, just kind of like some, having an empty house day. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's it's honestly it's it's been really nice. And I mean, it it gets me, it allowed me to kind of step back into production. Um, I'll occasionally do some printing just to get things caught up. If we have any weird, you know, weird location prints or something like that that I know might be um, tricky for the team or or just anything that that I can knock out really quickly. Just to that's to interesting. And people can get 
35 to 40 hours that way for yeah. just spreading out that last day. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And even th- like I said, we have, you know, if there's, if there's a need to have, uh, some overtime happen that we still have that Friday and I don't have to have another right, weekend. Working, right. Like, yeah. And so they can come in if, if we needed it, they can come in seven thirty on Friday and be out by lunchtime, you know? Right. And that gives your sales team a little more flex to sell a little bit harder. Yeah. Right. So if they do bring mm-hmm. you something to the table, it's like, all right, we're going to bring it on who wants overtime. Right. Um, yeah, we kind of, we, we allowed ourselves more capacity without having to change any of our equipment and yeah. stuff on the production. It's side. huge. The equipment companies the equipment. hate them. Right. But no, I've actually, I've heard that like, uh, you know, like before you buy a second press, you know, like look at your downtime. Right. Because you probably yes. need a CTS. Right. So when you said you track um, downtime or do you, do you track when presses start and stop? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. So we were, we had a log um, that we were using that tracked. It was just pretty much time stamping. It's like, all right, when, when did you start? When did you actually load the first shirt to send this thing into production? When did you tear it down? When did you start setting up the next screens? When did you get the approval? And so I could see all the gaps kind of in between. I, we found that like we were spending a lot of time between when a, the first strike off got approved and actually starting the production. Um, hmm. And so one of the things that, that that accounts for is, you know, our production team warms up the pallets. Right. So we can look and say, like, all right, well, how much time are we spending warming up pallets? You know, which is there something that we can do to kind of mitigate that? Can we um, can we set a cycle or set some um, some kind of constants in there where where if the press isn't being used, go ahead and leave it in warm pallet mode so, to keep everything hot. Um, so that that's kind of what we're trying to figure out right now is where, you know, my my first goal with tracking all that time was to see if it made sense for us to change the schedule. Now we're looking at, you know, what those implications are and to see if we can increase capacity again without having to like put that burden or, you know, crack the whip on our team. Um, if we can find that time, sure. Cause I'm sure it's there. Sure. It's, it's yeah. almost always there. It's eliminating the waste. Exactly. If you feel Moxley like there's stuff. waste there, yeah. there's yep. usually waste. Are you using there. a log book or like, is it on Printava with a status? It was or? literally, we just, we, yeah, it was pretty much a log book. We printed okay. out spreadsheets with columns for each each day and each time and each job. So we, it also helps us to kind of track our time for, um, from a production standpoint. So it'll help our, our scheduler better, better position things, uh, throughout the week, you know, so just kind of reassessing our capacity, um, especially with this year having been kind of a weird year. I mean, we've had, we've had people kind of move around to different positions throughout the shop. Um, so, and we've also had people kind of leave, uh, early on. So we're onboarding people right now. So as we start to move people around and, you know, things changed a little bit this year, um, more significantly than previous years, reassessing that time and kind of, um, evaluating, uh, how the cycle has kind of changed throughout the production. I think the most interesting part is that you started measuring something just with the intention of measuring it so that you could give feedback later. Right. And so, it doesn't need to be some crazy system when you start measuring something, right? It just needs to be, it could be a logbook. For How long did you now. do it for a week or? Uh, we did it for about six weeks to two months. I think okay. something like that. Yeah. And was everyone on board with like the intention behind it and like, this is why we're measuring it or did you have to push? Yeah. It I bit? kind of, I kind of explained it. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, once you start measuring things, people are, the staff can get weary just like, Oh no, they're, they're, you know, being kind of micromanaged or people feel that they have to like 
I didn't want to create a situation where somebody felt like they had to fudge the books at all. So I, the idea was, it, it genuinely was to see if we can justify changing to a four-day production week. And the, I kind of got everybody on board um, and aligned with that by saying, hey, look, if this works and we find that time, you guys get a three-day weekend every single week. And so that was like a pretty big incentive for people to just be like, hey, we need That's huge. this. The accuracy is, is important here. Whether the numbers are good or whether the numbers are bad, that it needs to be accurate. So there wasn't really a position. That is there. such a big part of it, though. Uh, so, I mean, in Printavo, this is part of what we're working to build in um, to give you more visibility there. And this is like the first stage we're on, and there's about three, four stages to get there. But um, I, I think there's... We, we can build the product side, but helping to educate that side is, if not more important, because, yeah, you don't want people to feel like I'm a number and, oh, can you just squeeze that down five minutes or, like, can you not take that break or, or whatever? So that's really it's cool that, that you're able to yeah. motivate it. Yeah, but, it but like, how do, you, how do you think you motivate it longer? So, okay, we achieved the four-day work, right? But now you kind of probably want to say, well, where else – is there waste, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's something, it's something that people should always be looking out for. Yeah. Um, cause I mean, it exists in, in every nook and cranny of any kind of business really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really know where to look next, but I mean, we're always looking. But, I mean, but with the team though, like sure. how, how do you, how do you create that culture of it without it being, cause like, okay, so they achieve the goal, you hit it for right. your work week. Now, what's next i want to keep measuring it because you're like oh my gosh from a business owner perspective sure whoa yeah that's yeah those numbers quantify and they yeah they they mean something for me versus for them right um yeah i mean i think you know we we've always kind of had a culture in our shop of of there's there's probably a better way um so when we when we bring people on i mean we even if we're bringing somebody in that has a lot of experience, like the person that um, we're onboarding this week has, you know, production experience in shops that um, in terms of volume far outweigh mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I like to tell people is come in and listen. Like we're going to, we're going to dig all of the resources that you have out of you, but I want you to come in and listen first, get a feel for what we're doing here. And then how can we apply any, any changes that you want to bring to the table, you know? And so that, that, it's kind of the um, the thought process and how we operate. I mean, everybody everybody has a voice, whether you're in production or you're on the account management team. Um, if you're an account manager and you're you you keep seeing you know things in production happen that you think might be done better, like we're always going to be receptive to that, and we're because things always change. I mean, there's it's especially in our industry, there's always a new technique out, there's always a new ink system, there's always some new garments coming out. So why not? when, when everything else in our industry can adapt and can, and can change, like why can't a shop be flexible? You know, we, there are certain shops that, that are, I don't want to say blacklisted, but we kind of take that approach. When people come to us from those shops, we ask them about their experience there. And if they, depending on how they provide feedback about their experience in that shop, it's, we're hesitant because we have, we'll, we'll bring in people and you know, we, we know that a lot of their experience might be buried in this one aspect of our industry and we've seen it create a tendency of, of bad habits and more often than not, those bad habits come to light really quickly. So, um, if we can bring people in and have them listen and kind of understand things, even if, you know, they are recognizing things right out of the gate, we want that kind of culture of 
of everybody kind of having the ability to be a change agent and and you know recognize shortcomings or better ways to do something um so going back to what you were saying i think the you know that culture is what allows our team to kind of um kind of be self-healing you know if we if we have systems that that are either um not tightly upheld or um you know maybe overlooking waste like what we're talking about here um the idea is that the team will recognize it because they all they all really do have a um have a team motivation and and they really you know want everybody to do well together so. and is that you opening up the dialogue is there someone on your team that you know um lets others critique the system a little bit or is it you asking for feedback i know like andy at shirt kong will have a whiteboarding session and he'll make it like a playbook where people are looking at the process and critiquing it like a whiteboard in a locker room mm. do you have scheduled time that you do that um is I, it i don't and that's and that's probably something that i should look into i mean i think i think andy's right on the money with that like you know, having everybody sit down at the same table, regardless of what experience you're bringing to it, um, and take a look at the processes of of everybody. I mean, that each each little system that every team member has to work on. I mean, going back to what we were talking about with with restaurant work. I mean, there there's so many experiences that do have kind of lateral. Um, those they're so similar, right? That that if you come from a manufacturing background you're going to understand a lot of different processes and different aspects of manufacturing, whether it's you were manufacturing, you know, bobbleheads. Very hard to manufacture. Or cars, right? <laughs> so, I mean, anybody with a manufacturing background is going to have some input in other aspects of the manufacturing industry. And it's the same with us. I mean, everybody's, everybody brings a unique experience to the table, whether they've worked a job in their life right? or if they've got 30 years in the industry, you know, and then the person with 30 years in the industry might have been doing things the same way for 10 years. And, you know, somebody who has been a restaurant worker for the last five years might have a different approach. They might, you know, they might see something that, um, in systems where they can say, Hey, this, you know, there's a technology solution for this. Whereas the person who's been doing the same thing at a high level for 10 years might not have overlooked or might not. That's what I think we pull out a lot from one-on-ones. Uh, where each team lead will do that biweekly and just asking how are things going, you know, what, what are you doing over and over that, uh, is kind of bogging you Seems redundant or something. Yeah. I think the other thing is when, when COVID hit and we all hopped back in the shop and we're printing at nights and stuff, we started finding shortfalls that we didn't even realize our employees dealt with. Like, do they really walk this far to get this? Or is this really how I've had this set up for the entire time? <laughs> and you just don't realize it because they do it every day and that's what they think their job is. And some of them won't even say it to you until you're like, whoa, you've been, you've really been checking those three things. And it's yeah. and they're like, yeah, we've just been doing it the same way every time. I've seen that a lot on the, our sales end and marketing end, especially when COVID hit, cause we were just cutting out like uh, contractors and things like that, that we're, we were trying things with and yeah, 100%. Or seeing, like, what they're doing to reaching out or talking to shops. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So, like, you have to sift through half of it. It's kind of spam. And the other half was like, well, let me get, you know, this to look up where the location is. And then, then you know who to follow up with. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. Adam, how – we were just talking about before we started competition. Because you were asking about this office. And <laughs> Farrakh's like, you know, we have uh, students here, but I don't want to compete here. I don't, I don't want to compete in Chicago. 
I mean, how do you, how do you think about that? You know, obviously there's a huge population in sure. Chicago, but there's a lot of shops, a lot of options. Like, where do you think about it and creating your, your space? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, no one shop is going to be the perfect solution for everybody in their market. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the better you can isolate the type of client that you work well with, that you want to attract and that works well for your specific shop, um, the more successful you're going to be. I mean, there's, um, I think Marshall Atkinson said it, like if, if there's somebody that is knocking on your door that you don't want to work with, or you don't think would work well with your shop, send them to your competitor because if they don't work well for you and your competitors closely, you know, competing with you, then chances are they might take them and it might not work well with them and it's just going to bog them down. Um, we're a little bit more, you know, we try to cooperate a lot more with our, with our competitors and, you know, this is a really small community and especially in times like this, it's always good to have, you know, friends in the industry, whether they're directly competing with you or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we try to find, uh, we try to find a profile of a customer that, that we work well with, that we can do a really good job at servicing and we go after them, you know, like we're, we don't print for a lot of schools and there's a reason for that. We don't print for, um, a lot of sports teams or anything like that because, you know, that's just not who we attract and that's not, you know, their needs aren't necessarily the thing that we're perfect at executing. So we Mm -hmm. really try to focus on our strengths. Um, and then, you, know, you do have that list. I remember seeing that that master plan of sales accounts. Like mm-hmm. they were writing out, here's who we're going after, and just like crossing wow, checking yeah. things off. I mean, and it's it's one of those things. I mean, my like I said, my background before was has always kind of been back and forth between printmaking and the culinary world. So I understand the culinary world, the world really well. So like restaurant groups and stuff like that, um, especially a lot of ones in Chicago that focus really heavily on branding. Um, they've been a lot of fun to work with, you know, and those are the types of, of, uh, clients and the type of work that is really re- rewarding to be able to have a hand in, and producing. Um, obviously anybody familiar with Chicago knows that we have a, a remarkable craft beer, craft coffee, uh, craft distiller scene here. Um, and that's really been, um, a lot of our business over the years. And we've, we've been able to pick up those clients, uh, as they're starting up. And, you know, watch them grow, help them grow by offering our input and our expertise and specifically their industries, because we know it really well. Um, and as they grow, we grow alongside them. So, um, yeah, we, we try to find, uh, we try to create a really like symbiotic partnership with our clients and we, we stick to what we know, you know. And I hear that more and more, right? Like you almost become an agent for them or you're, you're, you're a branding agency. It's less about the t-shirt. The t-shirt is just the byproduct of what happens after the relationship is built. It's consultative. Um, I think that's so interesting because when someone's newer and getting in the the industry, they're taking everything that's thrown at them and they're like, yeah, we'll figure out a way to do this. (laughs) We'll figure out a way to do this. You know, uh, and then as you mature, it's like, it's just, it's narrowing that. I think that was a visualized value guy. Um, is it hard for you to say no to things? Like, are you saying no more and more to clients that don't fit it? Or is it more of an education thing with your um, team? Prior, prior to 2020, uh, <laughs> we were, we were really good at saying no. Um, this year, how, how is it just 
like, oh, we're not the best at that? Or do you just charge a crazy rate or what? No, I mean, we, we try to keep our pricing really transparent. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily charge somebody more for their project than we would charge for a comparable project, for mm. a project from somebody else that, you know, is heavily aligned with our, our primary base. Um, but I mean, you know, we can, we can usually know within a couple of correspondence if a customer is going to be a good customer for us. Um, you know, if people that, that want really high touch, uh, people that have difficulty, um, you know, taking advice or listening to, to our expertise, I mean, they, they tend to be problematic customers down the line. I mean, if, if you have somebody that's just very, very particular and you're trying to offer advice just, you know, on on everyday decisions, uh, logo placement, logo scale, all that kind of stuff. And they're just throwing everything that you recommend by the wayside. Chances are when they get their shirts, they're going to find something they're unhappy about. Um, that could be any type of customer. Um, so we, we try to recognize that early and, um, you know, we have no problem being right in the middle of a project and just saying, Hey, like we have your art files, we have everything here. Uh, we're going to recommend, you know, these three businesses and you just let us know where you want us to send your art files to forward everything over the, leave the project as is mm. rather than, you know, seeing through it. And then ultimately, you know, having somebody that, that paid you, which then gives them justification or qualification to, to, you know, voice their opinion online, which is, you know, very damaging for, for small businesses. You don't want somebody just wiling out because they, they paid you a bunch of money and they feel like they should have gotten better. That Some, doesn't happen. Stuff. What are you right. talking yeah, about? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's, and so it's really, it's, we really try to find people whose expectations we can not only manage, yeah, but are very heavily aligned. And yeah. so when we, when we find people whose expectations that we just can't control, then you're setting yourself up for failure yeah. because the second they get their product, no matter what you warned them about, no matter, you know, what you try talking them into, they're going to have a problem with it. Right. And they, they, because they paid you, because you took their money, they have reasonable cause to go say whatever they want online. What, uh, what shop do you send them to in Chicago? <laughs> uh, I'm not well. going to say, I'm not, not going to say most of the time, most of the time, honestly, uh, the problematic customers, I would say 50% of the time which is not most that's exactly half but um considering all the other avenues that they could be directed towards um we refer them to digital because most of the time the problems that we feel they are going to take issue with or Mm -hmm. they could potentially take issue with could be solved by digital and a lot of times too if a customer those customers tend to come in being really unorganized they're you know they may have money to throw around but they just want to throw money at a problem versus actually like solving it um so we tell them, it's like, all right, if you have money to throw at this, but you don't really have, you know, a vision or, or you don't really have your expectations set up realistically, then digital is probably going to be a really good way to go. Because if you want your print to look exactly how it looks on your phone, then you're going to be able to do that digital, which sort is fine. And, they'll, and, they'll, and hopefully, <laughs> so, and, sort of. <laughs> and, well, and hopefully they'll be satisfied with, and that's, that's kind of the idea is right. like, there's, you know, most of the time it's somebody whose expectations for what they're looking for aren't realistic you know, whether they you know they want to use yeah a i had a, mix of I had a customer recently that we just could not make happy over and over and over again and they had their own clothing line and so uh whenever they would ship it out they were magically always short something <laughs> um that doesn't happen 
And uh, finally, I was like, hey, I'm going to just send you all of the production files. Like, tell me where you want me to send this to. And uh, all your the separations are done. Yeah. I was like, here are the seps. Uh, send this to the other to any other company and, and they'll take it from here just because we were so tired of yeah. the same problem and we would we would we would all have a chat saying like this customer will tell us in one week they're short two smalls and then there it was <laughs> everybody's taking right. bets yeah, yeah like literally taking bets because they're trying to bag and tag and ship an order by themselves and i see ourselves also making those same mistakes internally so like i knew it was just we're just yeah. never gonna make yeah. that person happy and yeah. it's it's hard to admit it's really hard to admit. I'm sure your team was so thankful that you guys. I sent them the screenshot. Yeah. I sent them the screenshot. Oh, I was like, here, that, you guys go have a drink yeah. for this one. And they're like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, and right. I can see it on the faces of our account managers. When, when we have a difficult client and you know they're getting really frustrated because somebody might not be listening to them or they're pushing things, they're forcing something that, sh that doesn't need to be forced. Um, that's usually the first sign as I could see it. In, Do in, you step in, Adam, or is it is there someone else there. i i usually put our our we have kind of a shop general manager um whose experience is more heavily on the front end um so i'll usually have him interject first um if it's somebody that you know if we need kind of the nuclear option then i'll step in if somebody's being like belligerent or <laughs> the nuclear you know, i mean we've had people that are just you know that'll call and rail and and just get really foul on the phone and you know there's just no no need for that. You yeah. Know, like, especially if they're representing another business. It's like, that's not professional. Get the hell out of the here. The best is uh, when you set up an online store for an organization and you do a killer job and then one member from that organization sends a scathing email and you just copy the group organizer on it and being like, hi, we got this message from one of your members. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting how people could sometimes be very fired up especially over email but i've also seen that if i call them then they're super mm -hmm. nice on the phone um but it'll be like an all caps like very angry yeah. and i'll call them like oh hey and you know it should be totally fine um i don't know maybe it's just easier to, to send no totally like that. i i think certain people you know you're you, if if i had an issue with printavo and i was really upset and I heard you on the other end of the line, that's going to be really calming. You're saying the you, nice, soothing voice yeah, of you're, Bruce you're very, Ackerman? Yeah, exactly. yeah, he's got a very nice, yeah, soothing voice. Hey, man. And, and no. it's hey. genuine, usually. I mean, that's the big thing, too, is that it's, it's you know, when, when the other person on the end of the line, you can tell, is trying to help you really solve the problem, then... yeah. Not it's fair. So, you're right. Yeah. And sometimes the feeling of being escalated is nice. Like, it, it, it's a value add sure. for them. At, like... I'm sure you've had it when you're calling into some larger company and you get escalated up to the manager or whatever it is. And they like sort of talk to you. You do feel a sense of more importance. Okay, right. Right. They are. Trying yeah. They're taking to, it seriously. Right. They're, they're, they're trying to listen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, what about the uh, competition for you? Like, how do you, how do you think about it? Um, we don't believe it exists, <laughs> <laughs> but you, but everybody sees it though. Yeah. I mean, we, we attack a certain market, um, where I, I don't negotiate on price, we don't charge setup fees, rarely do we charge shipping, but we do charge a premium. Um, and that's because I think when you listen to like Amazon, people are like, why do you like Amazon? It's an obsession, right? And so I'm, I'm all about how quickly can we get something to a customer and make them so happy that they don't care what it costs. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we look at. Adam, my partner, um, will put blindfolds on and like unsubscribe. I'll subscribe to everyone's email campaigns 
and like follow them all on Instagram and he'll be like, stop looking at them. Uh, because it's really hard to look at your competition and say, oh, if only we sent that type of email out or maybe we should try this campaign out. And I think that every business owner is playing their own game and it's not up to looking at what the Joneses are doing because there's going to be print shops out there that'll print faster than you, better than you, cheaper than you, whatever. Uh, but you have to find those customers that obsess over you. And I think that's the only differentiating thing I have over you guys is my customers might like me a lot until I mess it up and then they go somewhere else. Right. And I think that's, that's all you really have. Cause so, so you're sending your customers. You don't want to add them. <laughs> and now I'm sending them to who? Is that Thrillmaker? Uh, <laughs> Customink.com. <laughs> Customink.com. Uh, no, I think, I think what is the one differentiating factor is the experience. I mean, yes, the print yeah. can be better and softer and, and you totally. name it, but it is the experience. And yeah. I think, Shops have to put a lot of weight onto that. In this day and age, we get scared because we see uh, a news release that Amazon just bought corny printers or something. And it's like, well, you know, until that truly becomes a thing, you have yourself as a person and the experiences you make with your customers. And I think you can also be a really big company and give an awesome experience, like Sticker Meal. If you have Apple, bought, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, Apple's they're my a, favorite. Yeah, they're my yeah. favorite, right? right? Because like the marketing is on point. Mm-hmm. The customer service is fantastic. The product always comes. And I don't really know how big they are, but I really enjoy working with yeah. them. Right? Yeah, even even the online experience is, is remarkably streamlined. Yeah, and yeah. I just think you can't beat that, right? Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I, I, I feel like you sometimes go through phases. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, you see what they're doing? You got alerts on whenever they pop up or release stuff. And then you're right. In the end, it really is total focus on your customer and driving value for them, like period. And I, I guess it's the whole Simon Sinek infinite game. Yeah. I think Justin from Barrel Maker says, we just run copy machines. <laughs> Whether they're green or they're blue, I don't think your customer, they're just copy machines on shirts. Yeah. That sounds really bad. Have you, have you thought about digital or... Um, yeah, I have thought about it. I mean, I would like to see, I'd like to see the technology develop a little bit more. I still, I haven't been wowed by anything on the, like any actual physical products. I mean, the, the capabilities and image recreation is remarkable. Um, but I think what we've seen is people want, like what people describe their, what they're going for is what can still be delivered through screen printing. Um, if I think there are very few instances where digital is like absolutely the best way to go. Um, I think it solves a lot of problems that people have been looking to solve for decades though. I mean, just, it's remarkable that now you can order a single shirt with whatever the hell you want on it in whatever color now and, and have it within a couple of days. I mean, that's, that's crazy. So just waiting for the tech to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, I think, you know, in talking with manufacturers and talking with people who have implemented it in their shops, um, you know, they're, I hear, I'm hearing a lot more regrets than, than really? proponents of it, you know? Um, but I mean, I think it, it really just depends on the shop. I don't think it's a good fit for where our shop is at right now. Um, going back to what we were saying about our, our ideal client type, but I mean, we, but you're not a big gosh. contract shop, right? No, not yeah. at all. And I think that, I think that's really it. It's like people, I think a lot of smaller shops will will look at digital and say, "Oh, this is awesome because I can take those, you know, five shirt orders that I'm having to send off 
because who doesn't get those calls 10 times a day, right? Um, but I think that's not really the best solution because that's those are the people that I'm hearing that are like, yeah, it's a, it's a maintenance nightmare, all this kind of stuff. And like those things are true if you're not doing it a lot. But if you're in that industry and you're pumping out DTG digital prints all day long, then you have a service schedule just like you would with any other piece of equipment. Right? Yeah, and, and I think the, the other part is like the sales pipeline for it right? Like you interviewed Kevin from stoked on, mm-hmm. I mean, they are, they have, they are overflown with DTG orders coming in as a contract shop yep. where they're not prepping artwork. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I think when it comes to DTG, it really comes down to more time spent on artwork than anything else and getting stuck doing that. And then the sample and test prints to make sure that colors are saturated. Right. And, and all that. Do you do any like DTG? Like, do you have a single head DTG or like a ch- nothing? nothing, nothing. No, I mean, wow. we were, we were outsourcing for a while. Um, but we just started referring those customers, even even existing customers. Just wasn't worth the sales and setup nah, time. And, and yeah, I mean, just you know, you get people that are used to doing um, screen printing, and so you you spend so much time explaining, preparing them for the receiving a digital product because it's going to be different. I mean, it's it doesn't have the same tactile feel. It doesn't always have the same look. Um, so we just you know we I would rather just like with stickers. I mean, we could, sure, we could sell somebody stickers, we could sell somebody pens, um, but it's one of those things, if you don't have, our customer base wants us to fully back it, and they they trust our, they value our opinion on things. Um, So if we sell them just like the cheapest product that we make the highest margin on, or we sell them something that we don't necessarily produce, they're going to look at us and be like, what the hell is this? Like, this is, this isn't normally what I get from you guys. Like I, I'm used to getting really good quality and I'm used to getting really good recommendations from you guys. Um, so if we were just to start to offer that, um, to solve a really small problem, then I think we would lose out on the bigger picture for us. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's exciting really to see it. I mean, I'm, I'm so stoked to see the development, especially kind of the hybridization of it, merging it with screen printing and, um, there's a lot of manufacturers getting into that now. It seems like, yeah. um, do you guys do, I know you guys do like, is it patches? Do you do a lot of patchwork or what's um, your, not a ton. Okay. Nah, I mean, it? most of it's like direct embroidery and, but okay. we do have a decent amount of patches. Gotcha. Out. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you guys do any transfers like with Supacolor or anything like nah. that? Not, nothing nope. like that. I've seen a huge shift to people doing a lot more transfers from like FM, Supacolor, mm-hmm. Um, I know Supercolor just launched that Deco Press company. Have you for heard of low quantity uh, orders or for like yeah. tags? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, for like low quantity. Where it's you kind can, of an alternative to digital, right? Yeah, you yeah. can get like a digitally printed patch with like a marrow on the side or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. shipped to you 24 pieces in like a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's allowed us to at least start to offer something we haven't been able to offer. I think that's for an early printer, that's a really hard thing to do is realize that you won't do everything. Like, oh, I just need to get a special post whatever sewing machine to do this or I just need that and I think every tool you add to the fire makes it that much more complicated so it's really really interesting yeah well thanks for joining us Adam yeah it's awesome especially being able to hang out I mean every time we uh have a guest on here it's just such a nice chat but um you guys can always follow lucky prints luckyprints.com instagram you can follow lucky prints Adam Smith joined us today thank you again Thanks, guys. See you guys next time. Take it easy.